Hello and welcome back to the Neo Plus One podcast with me, Neil Curran. Thanks to everyone for your comments, feedback and notes you've sent since I started season two. It's great to see that uh, you're enjoying the the, the series. Um, this week, uh, I don't venture too far this week actually, I stay local and finally speak to somebody on the Irish scene, which is uh, long overdue. I speak with the wonderful Kelly Shatter, who has a very interesting background in terms of uh, what brought her to improv, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello. Hi. Here we are. I'm here with the wonderful Kelly Shatter in the luscious surroundings of a very swanky hotel. So luscious. I can't believe I haven't hung out here before. This is this is the lifestyle that, that we live, lead in Dublin. <laughs> yes. I actually do often hang out in, in hotels to write. Absolutely. Just not, not uh, the western. The lucrative nature of improv insists that we hang out in swanky yes. venues to talk improv. <laughs> How are you? I'm really good, yeah. I'm, I'm taking some downtime and I'm learning. I'm having to learn how to do that. I know, it's difficult, isn't it? It's yeah. like we always have this appetite that we sense we should be doing something. Constantly. It's, and we um, forget how to switch off. Yeah, it's, it's exhausting. But um, no, it's like I'm, I'm waking up and I'm reading. That's, I've, I've almost read an entire book yesterday. So these things are amazing. That's, that's impressive, that's yeah. impressive. Because yeah. you've been very busy. You, yeah. you're a, you, your hand in a number of parts, yes. quite successfully as well, we might add. Oh, thanks, Neil. Um, which is great. Um, so let's talk a little bit about improv. We oh, should. yes, please. We should while we're please here. do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, tell us a little bit about Kelly and her improv journey. Well, it's hard to, look, to exactly um, locate the beginning of it because I was... Really, I was doing improv from about eight when my, my first drama school. And um, her her way of teaching was to get us in groups and say, "Okay, you've got you've got ten minutes to make a show," and then we'd we'd take t- ten minutes, quickly figure out some things, and then go and perform it for like twenty minutes. Mm. So that was from a really early age. I was kind of already enjoying the idea of being both a performer and a writer on stage. Mm. And it's interesting because my my story is something similar. How, how do you think that shaped your growth from being a child into an adult? I think as a shy kid, it allowed me a really comforting mask to the world. Hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it really... Because I, I actually took on the identity of someone who was confident, but I wasn't. I was just wearing the mask of someone who was confident and... and drama training allowed me to do that allowed me to put myself in different situations and act as in the way that I would like to act rather than my natural default was just to kind of not really say anything so I think it helped um, really actually it gave me listening skills that are both positive and negative because I don't I don't hear what people say I hear all the subtext which can be exhausting, um, but really helpful as a writer and a creator and a teacher. I think as a teacher, that skill stands with me hugely because I, I feel out of room and I feel out where people are rather than what they're, how they're saying they are. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you think, because um, I know now, like, and we haven't talked about this, so I might be putting words in your mouth. So <laughs> Stop I know, it. <laughs> Take the words Kelly out of me. Kelly said... <laughs> 
But I know from my perspective, I'm always harping on that like this stuff should be on the educational curriculum. Oh my it God, kinda is, yeah. I know, in primary school, but second level education. But do you do you do you get a sense that your teachers at the time were aware of the difference that they were making in um, your life and the life of your classmates? Um no. I don't think so. I think for them it was just they really enjoyed teaching drama they enjoyed like that was their job um, but I don't necessarily know that they would start a class with that in mind of like yes I'm seriously impacting in a positive way these children's lives so I don't I don't think so um, but maybe they did like I think you know bringing this stuff into the education system is so important we should we should speak about that. Yeah, we should <laughs> we should we talk should. about it more um, yeah, it's just, there's such useful tools that just allow us to um, to kind of negotiate all, all of the trickiness, you know. So Cuttington, more recent times, tell yeah. us a little bit more about how the adult Kelly and the her improv journey. Yeah, so I, um, I, was, I studied improv in college as well, there's various forms, but I did quite a lot of Keith Johnstone, which I loved. Um, and but actually even more so I studied with a teacher who trained in Jacques Lecoq techniques um, so that is physical theatre improv basically so it's using your body um, to tell story it doesn't mean you can't speak but often that's not the focal point um, although I hadn't kind of the penny hadn't dropped of like ah oh, this thing um, so I left college and I was acting and then slowly but surely I realised I was much more interested in telling the story rather than being just the, just the actor in that I, I had to be the storyteller and then I got really interested in shows like Parks and Rec and 30 Rock and all these powerful funny women at the helm so I just did a Google <laughs> like it was as simple as that. It's like, oh, Tina Fey's a brilliant writer. What was her? What's her background? What was her background? And then it was just, you know, all of all of the improv. Um, and so I decided in 2011 I was going to go and train in improv, and then a year later I kind of got the money together. Um, but it was about that time that I was like, this, I want to be a writer of comedy. Um, but I had no intention to become obsessed with it as an art form in and of itself I was I was more just tricking myself into becoming a better writer through improv um, but I thought I would do the course leave it come back a better writer and it was like I think day one Dave Hill was my teacher and I just had this I've only had this twice in my life of this like <laughs> full body this this is, is for I me. Yes. I I will never not do this. <laughs> I think it's also nice that you didn't. You're finally and people listening to be going, yay! Somebody didn't cite his lines in any way. It's one of their TV influences. Yeah, I did like it, but I didn't. I didn't. Uh, it wasn't kind of a hair standing yeah. up on the arm kind yeah. of job. So you so that so that you were at you and I O. Dave yes. was your teacher. Yeah. What was that? Because. Because uh, we have some friends we talked to earlier about friends who are doing this at the moment. Yeah. Um, what was it like as an as an, uh, a foreigner? Let's, let's call it what it is. A foreigner <laughs> traveling over to Ellie because you would have went over on your own, I imagine. I did, yeah. And doing that. What was that experience like? And this um, is not a shameless plug for I.O. <laughs> Sorry, Colleen. Um, well, I didn't feel like a foreigner, foreigner um, because 
there were people, it was about half of the people were from the US living in LA or had, had driven or flown to LA for it, and then half were from Europe. Um, so I didn't feel like an outsider in any way, if that's your question. Um, we, you know, it was kind of. More about, you know, taking on that, uh, I guess, taking on that journey yourself, you know, going up. Arriving in a theatre in a scene where there's a, a, a rich improv right, scene. Right, I understand. Okay. Yeah, it was it was mostly thrilling. <laughs> um, because I'd had the tiniest taste of it here. Um, and then I got to be completely immersed. Um, my first day. It was terrifying as well. It was, a, it was that wonderful combination of like... Of, of excitement and horror. <laughs> uh, everyone had been doing improv in my course for about 10 years. And, you know, we were starting on level one. I'm, I'm doing quotation marks because there was nothing level one about it. Like, as soon as we got up to do scenes, people had all of this expertise and skill. And I had done one six-week course. So I was completely out of my depth. But I think that is the best way to learn. And I was kind of delighted for it. Um, and then, yeah, we were watching shows for, like, three hours every evening and just completely immersed in it and, and again I remember the first time I saw King Ten which is, is the improv group that Dave Hill is in having that same thing of like first of all actually it took me a little it took me about five minutes to, to catch up with what was going on because it's so fast but I was I had like tears shining in my eyes just this magical experience um, of, of complete aliveness that I'd always loved about theatre, but I'd always wanted to push further, and I felt like this was the step of pushing that further. Um, so yeah, it was terrifying and, and really exciting. Um, the references, in terms of like not being, you know, from the US, and there was some ridiculous amount. There was a, sorry, there was a lot of ridiculous misunderstandings like um, words of suggestion that I wouldn't understand. I even remember getting valet, and I, I know what valet is, but in my head in that moment, my brain went completely blank, and the scene was about valet, and I just was like, spent the whole scene in my head going, what's a valet, and what's a valet, I should know this. <laughs> and so yeah, there was a lot of that, but it almost felt like I was doing it in another language, which, you know, is a leap, but uh, yeah, it was great. So, spurned from all of that, you yeah. set up your own school here in Dublin. Yeah. And tell us a bit about how that journey has been. Well, it was kind of a, a slow build, because I, I was teaching already. I was teaching a lot of classes to children, and I'd been wanting... I was teaching drama, not improv. Um, and I'd been wanting to start to teach adults anyway, and then I came across improv in this form. And so I just slowly but surely started to teach... And mostly my friends. I just gathered them and uh, started to teach some classes, but like once a week for about a year, you know. Um, and then I, I loved it. I really, really loved it. And it just felt like the time was right to ease away from teaching kids. As much as I, I really loved that, and uh, it just felt like it was time for me to kind of be my own boss. Um, yeah, and so I just started really kind of thinking about what what I would want a vision a, the vision for a school and um, started building up uh, building up more students and um, I think it's really for me that like every time I do it every time I do a new course I feel like I'm getting better because you learn as you go right every time you're kind of constantly 
reconfiguring. That's what I love about the fact that I'm my own boss. There's no set there's no set curriculum it doesn't have to be a fixed way because for me that way changes all the time depending on what I'm learning externally what I'm interested in at the moment and what the students are needing so it's a really fluid thing and I don't think I would do well with a set curriculum so um, I don't know if you find that that it changes all the time depending on what you're yeah I do find that what I try to do is resist the urge that everyone who goes through... Well, level one tends to stay, stay relatively sure, the same. Sure, sure, yeah. But with other... You know, you're resisting the urge that every one of your level two students uh, is like, oh, no, we did something different. We did, you know, to try it. But it is, yeah, I yeah. agree. It is. It can be a challenge because you do evolve as a teacher. Yeah. And you're learning just as much teaching um, as your students are. Yeah, I think it's, so. It's interesting. But like you say, being your own boss... You don't have someone else going, stop, stop teaching that way. Yeah, well, and actually I was given a lot of free reign as a drama teacher, which was lovely. Um, but I didn't necessarily get to set the parameters of what the goals were or what the outcomes were. So I love being able to constantly try and raise the stakes for the students. Um, so sometimes when I taught kids, we'd have these amazing shows, but they would just do it for each other <laughs> or, or their parents but I wanted it to be bigger for them and I wanted them to be able to kind of get out there more but I wasn't in control of, of that so it's nice to be able to be in a position where I can hopefully continue to grow this and raise the stakes for the students and, um, Are you still teaching kids? No, not anymore which I miss it's definitely on my it's, it's slightly low down on my to-do list <laughs> but it's there I, I, I miss it I miss um, I miss their way of seeing the world I think that perspective mm. is really important to stay connected to. Um, and do you yeah. find that there's things that they embrace, say, better than adults do and vice versa? Absolutely. To be honest, I find the only thing that adults embrace better is discipline. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I still loved, because I love the challenge of that. I love teaching adults because um, I love being able to, to show them the way to open up and be playful and reconnect whereas kids already have it so you're just giving them yeah. a structure to play within but they already have all the tools they need to be incredible improvisers yeah. adults you get to be like you have these but they're kind of buried you have to do yeah. it yeah it's funny I, I, I was teaching secondary school children at one stage yeah. high school I guess for the American listeners yeah and you know you uh, you forget how easily kids can embrace things yeah but the one one of the exercises I did was well, I call it song tag. I think most of the world calls it hot spot. Oh, yeah. You know, where you stand in a circle and people jump in and sing a song. Yeah. Um, and it was the one game the kids struggled with because they oh. wanted to pick cool songs. So yeah. they were, like, discussing it amongst themselves. <laughs> oh, that song's not cool. Don't do that. <laughs> it's funny, whereas adults just kind of have the freedom with that of just drawing themselves in and not caring. Yeah. There's no judgment of the quality of the song. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Funny. But it's I remember funny. doing, like... So I started bringing a lot of my improv training into the kids' classes when I was still doing it. Um, and I remember doing something with the kids where we created a location and then they got to be walk-ons in their locations. So they would come in as different characters. But just their sheer enthusiasm. Like, I love that, that kind of juxtaposition. Like, adults are kind of trying to think of something and if it's the right thing, whether to go out. Kids are just railroading each other all yeah, the time. Yeah. No, it definitely gets like that. Like, with adults, the more comfortable they are, the more they railroad. But yeah. I always think the railroading's great because it just means they're enthusiastic and mm. that's, for me, a really good first step. Yeah. 
yeah. when everyone's just rushing out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, kids, that's their it's their it's their automatic instinct to just go, yeah. which I love. Which is great. Which we all need as adults. Yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah. So then, when you're not teaching and doing yes. all the other stuff that keeps you busy in the theatre yeah. world, you're performing. Yeah. And you're part of two troops. I am. Two great troops. Yeah. One being a duo and one not being a duo. Mm-hmm. Not being a duo. <laughs> it's a four-hander, five-hander. I think we're at six now, but yeah. Tell us, well, actually, tell us about the duo first. So, yeah. Well, actually, you were a trio. I'll let you tell the story. Oh, yeah. We were a trio originally. So myself, Perla Work, and Aaron Hug. And it was just glorious. It really was. Um, just a really nice combination of different personalities. I think we all brought very different things to the table. Um, and I loved the fact that we were three women um, and I was just in awe of the other two women and how funny they were um, and so yeah we, we had about a year of having Aaron maybe longer I'm not very good with time frames now the only thing with the trio is when you're on the sidelines that's very intense like that to me is the most intense I've ever experience I've ever had improvising because you're the only one to tag in to edit it's an awful lot of pressure I remember feeling like I love this group but this is a very stressful place to be Um, and then unfortunately Aaron left to go to Toronto and a lot of tears and uh, grief was was caught up on that like uh, we hadn't been friends for long but it was a very instant firm friendship um, and so I remember the first rehearsal myself and Pearl had kind of decided oh, I guess we'll try this anyway and it was just that bizarre like really echoey feeling or something like we could hear all you know that feeling when you hear your own voice yeah, back it was yeah. almost like that it was like oh this is awkward it was actually awkward um, because we were just so used to always having someone watch and always having an audience um, member even if that was just your other teammates but yeah we kind of we're like okay let's try this again and then the next week we rehearsed again and slowly but surely we, we really found our own way and I absolutely love it now I love the fact that you're on all the time you don't have any of the you don't have any chance to get in your head because you have to be present all the time um, and I love the challenge of that it's terrifying it's it's easily way more frightening for me than it is in a group going out there um, but it's the best kind of fear certainly I had that realisation uh, like mo- a lot of the most influential improvisers to me were all women and I can realise we don't celebrate that enough and then you know the year with, with Improv Fest Ireland this, it was around the time the waking the feminist happened mm. We had the women in improv yeah. discussion. Yeah. Um, but, like, I mean, you mentioned, like, when you ask people to name some improvisers in, in popular culture now, you know, the go-to names are Tina Fey, Amy Poehler. Yeah. You know, people talk about the powerhouses. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we don't celebrate that enough. As, uh, as an art, I mean, without having done any academic research or background to this, I, I think that's something that improv has that, um, that kind of puts us as an art form somewhat ahead of other art forms that don't have that level well, not that we're, we're certainly not perfect mm. but we seem to be a little bit more ahead of the curve or maybe we're not no I, I think I'm just not sure if, it's funny isn't it it just depends what bubble you're in because I feel like I hear those names thrown around a lot but maybe it's just because 
I'm the one throwing them around a lot. No, I don't think so. I mean, because they're the names I use as well. Yeah. Um, although, funny, to tangent, I was teaching a thing down in Cork to, to marketing students, and I mentioned those. They were the go-to names, yeah. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, and they'd yeah. never heard of them because they were all second-year marketing students, and they'd never heard of them. Yeah, Tina. that always boggles my mind. But they are, like, they are, the ne- they are like popular culture names. The they next are. generation is what you're saying, yeah, younger than us, yeah. Yeah, they, we need new, younger, it's all about younger improvisers now. I know, well, Broad City Girls are, you know, also... Oh, you've lost me, uh, this is like the, oh, really? the One Direction generation you're talking about now. So you don't know Broad City? I, I, I'm probably too old to appreciate that it's probably good. It's, it's amazing, you'd really like it. It's two UCB um, women who, who met in UCB and then had a web series and from there oh. and now a show two women in their they were mid-twenties at the time they're probably nearing late-twenties now two Jewish women I'm proud to proud to say <laughs> and yeah and they're, it's, it's really brilliant now having said that I don't know how many people you know wherever you were doing your marketing they wouldn't necessarily have heard of them either yeah, yeah that's true that's true but again yeah. getting back to the point you know it is you know we have the you know these powerful uh, incredibly talented women that just roll off our tongue as improvisers when yeah. we're talking to yeah. when we're talking about improv outside of the improv world. You know, you, we always have it. You know, friends or family say, "What's well, improv?" You're like, "Well, you know, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Mm-hmm. It's them. Yeah. Well, they're part of it. So that, yeah. you know, maybe because when we're here in Dublin and certainly the theatre community, the non-improv theatre community, hasn't been short of its scandals in the terms of lack of equality mm-hmm. in uh, funded arts programs. Yet we have this wonderful, still somewhat underground improv scene that yeah. we're part of where I would like to think that we don't encounter those issues to the same degree. Sure, and, and hopefully that's not just because we're, we're so much smaller and I, I would definitely take on a, a degree of responsibility to try and, as someone who's teaching, I'm sure you do, do too, to, to, to keep that as it grows mm. to keep it as it is now um, and to keep a lot of women at the fore mm. um, my fear would be that the balance might I think I'm constantly aware of, of, of the gender balance and trying to make sure it's, it's yeah. equal And um, I say it in classes I don't know if it's simply I see like roughly 50-50 most of the time in terms of gender balance obviously with, with the performing scene in Dublin it's, it is kind of weighted more yeah. towards males yeah. but Certainly, in terms of interest from people, you know, it's fairly, which is nice in the class. And I have had some groups where have, which have been more, more female to male races. Absolutely, which is, which yeah, is great. yeah. I find it, it's mostly fifty-fifty, but I do find when it's when the the ratio is in favour of men, the women can can get a little bit mm. um, overlooked or something. Course, and, yeah. and I think that's really important to make sure that. Especially if, if they're shy women, they're more likely to be shy in a group of men, I find. Mm, yeah. um, so that's just about kind of keeping an eye on that mm. and finding but ways. It's funny how I, one of my secret guilty pleasures with improv is watching the behavior of level one students before the class starts mm-hmm. and seeing, you know, and slightly moving away from the gender thing, but 
you get, you get that you know, people sign up to your improv class and they're nervous you know no one turns up going well okay very few people will turn up going yeah great yeah, I'm so excited and feeling confident about this yeah. most people turn up with the oh god I'm after registering for this I have to go through with it now sure. and it's interesting watching that dynamic and then seeing how that evolves over the duration of the course and mm-hmm. how people become friends I remember one uh, one course where there was a guy who was totally embraced deep culture he had a quirky sense of humor and he was very self-confident in a geeky way and I could tell that some people were in, in the class were a little bit adverse to it. They, you could see they were purposely trying to not sit beside him for fear of being caught in a geeky conversation mm-hmm. and I remember saying to myself that's going to change yeah. and it did and it was so nice to see that but it highlights how as adults we so put people on labels on people we put people in boxes yeah. and generally our first impressions are always wrong yeah I think I think that is one of my favourite things about teaching that you see people's guards come down and uh, there's a, a relearning in the way that kids naturally do of just of acceptance and I'm not saying all kids do that but yeah certainly someone who might be more eccentric there's a kind of a caution around them at the beginning um, but I think, yeah, as, as people do the class, they see that that's the thing to be embraced, yeah. not not shied away from. Um, so, yeah, you definitely see that kind of acceptance mm. roll on through the classes. So, uh, getting back to performing, uh, one of the things I think, we, one of the luxuries we have in Europe is that, you know, we have a nice blend of theatre and improv. So we kind of see, well, I feel we see a different style of, of improv than you may see in the US yeah. and you definitely are highlighting highlight that because of your rich background in the arts so what is it that you feel are the important aspects of your background your experience that you bring to improv what, what do you think so if you have somebody who is listening now and is like I want to do this thing yeah. and I have no fucking idea how to do it <laughs> what, are, what are the things that you think improvisers or people who want to develop should be considerate of I think I Slowly but surely, because I don't think you can be doing this straight off in level one, but as people continue to train with me, I think I I bring the element of theatricality that I want to see in in shows. So because of that uh, physical theatre background that I was talking about, I try and bring that element of physicality. Um, so people are watching bodies move in interesting ways in the space. Um, and, and ideally play really creatively with, with each other. So I, my, my goal, which isn't is something I'm always working towards, is where the, the words aren't paramount. It's what, it's what the actions are on stage that are, are the thing that's, that's grabbing the interest. I, I forgot to mention, actually, but uh, after college, I did my thesis. I was doing a master's in, in, over in London, and I did my thesis on... Corn Exchange Theatre Company, which are based here. They're a really wonderful uh, variation of Commedia, they, or as Annie Ryan says, a, a bastardised version of Commedia. Um, so I got a lot of improv grinding there. But what they do is they, they use everything in a heightened way. So I'm more and more interested in, in bringing heightened reality to the stage so people don't feel like they're just watching a TV screen. Because otherwise what's the point because <laughs> my, my, my fear is if you could just go on and turn the telly on at home why wouldn't you do that so for me I want it to be as fully theatrical as possible mm. to, to 
communicate the full liveness and, and the full there's so much richness that we have um, on stage and I, I am working towards using that richness as much as possible yeah and it's so it is so lovely because um, talking head improv I think students don't realise that you know, they get to see very clever and talented improvisers who are doing improv a long time who end up doing talking head scenes that mm-hmm. they can make engaging and entertaining. Yeah. But as students, I don't think, realise that that's the worst starting position. It feels mm-hmm. like the easiest thing to do, but it's the worst, often yeah. the worst starting position yeah. to go to. And we don't see enough physicality. And I'm a victim of this as well because I wouldn't be the most physical performer in Dublin. And so, like, I'm just because I'm old as well. <laughs> Uh, but I wouldn't be the most definitely not allowed to say that anymore I certainly wouldn't be in the upper echelons of people who bring that physicality to the stage but it is so wonderful to watch it being done mm. um, and yeah uh, certainly yeah because both yourself and Pearl and Tumbleweed embrace that and wholly bring that to the stage and it just creates a lovely picture yeah as well, you know. I, I kind of think if the picture is interesting then ideally everything else will follow on mm. from that yeah um, and I'm working more and more with groups um, to do ensemble work uh, so that's kind of all the group mind stuff where it looks like you know you could have a group of nine on stage and it looks like they're all reading each other's minds mm. and um, yeah that's that's really what I'm interested in doing more of that, the yeah. kind of work that looks like magic that how are they how are they forming these pictures or how mm. are they knowing where the group is moving to next but yeah. they just seem to, to know that it's, just, it's like the psychicness yeah, yeah. group mind group mind exactly group mind. yeah but it's hard because sometimes students find that stuff really dull <laughs> and it does take it takes a certain um, you have to be quite patient with it because yeah. it takes a while for it to really form into something special yeah. for a while it can just feel and look pretty stupid <laughs> yeah and you know it's interesting because I it was only this year that I I don't even know if this was the goal of the thing that, that uh, Brian James O'Connell from the Pack Theatre. Yeah. So group mind, when you're explaining group mind to people yeah. uh, who are kind of new to improv or sure. even outside improv, you're explaining this like it can almost sound a hippie thing or we're just connected on this level yes, that we can't explain. Yes, of course. Um, and I mean, ultimately, you're, you know, when you're teaching group mind, there is an element of trying to get the students to embrace it and you know, comprehend it in their own way. Um, BOC... Has had this thing that he did with us at Improv Utopia this year, the 21 moves he calls, and it may not be something he came up with himself, but you know, will give give me some credence for that. But it was the whole thing lasted the guts of an hour, an hour and a half of us doing. There was 50 of us doing it at mm-hmm. the time, but I can't even remember if group mind was the thing that he was trying to prove with it. But at the end <laughs> of the exercise, I was like, wow, this really highlights group mind and it demonstrates it in action without anyone having to just accept you'll develop that psychic link yeah and that was really nice to see and uh cross mind's message was take it and share it with people sure so i've done it with a few groups here in dublin and it's great to see that you know happen so quickly and mm. um, yeah it sounds a little bit like maybe it's not but it sounds a little bit like viewpoints sometimes i use uh Anne bogart's viewpoints kind of mixed in with the other ensemble work mm. but i think what is nice is a level one class could see if, if we do it on, le- on day one they could see by day three three weeks yeah. later that now it's starting, starting to flow yeah. and feel fun mm. and they're starting to kind of build off each other's ideas mm. there's so much that can be taught in those games and they're, they're games really yeah. essentially but then you just mix the more games you mix in the more um, they have to work off yeah. of yeah 
definitely I hear myself sometimes saying things like and you just want to sense from behind your back you know you want to use your back to be to be another pair of eyes yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah it's that thing when you find it you're saying you'll just know it you'll know yeah. it when it's there yeah. you know it kind of feels like you're cheating by not being clear so talking about teaching um, uh, tell us something that you've been teaching recently or something that you're enjoying at the moment or some element of your teaching that you're kind of going, hey, I really like this, or I'm finding students need more of this. Something yeah. You can share with us. Actually, yeah. It is. So I just recently finished um, an acting class for improvisers because I was feeling that you've got these great improvisers, but they're not, share, they're not throwing their energy out enough. And I think it's one of the things that um, I want to kind of bring to the community a little bit more uh, just that the, the more the bigger theatricality of it all so I was teaching acting for improvisers and one of the things we did was this commedia style and uh, yeah it was really really joyous it's costume which we don't get, usually get to do so um, each car- each person develops their own character uh, and then we have white face mask and costume full image and a lot of people really find because you know this is coming some of them have been studying improv for like two or three years and they've never had image so it's just that lovely little help of you look in a mirror and you see a different person so it allows you to really find a character that we often don't have the luxury of doing um, now hopefully it won't be a crutch like hopefully <laughs> these, these improvisers will be able to go back and <laughs> do character <laughs> because you know image isn't something you can always do but I'm, I'm really excited to um, use this format and we're actually going to put on a show so the idea being that they'll all know who they are before we do the show but we won't know we won't know anything else. We know we know uh, it's a school, and we know there's teachers and students in the school, but we won't yeah, really no know what the story is going to be. Oh, that's so that's cool. really exciting. That's, fun. that's really yeah. cool. Oh, great. Yeah. So just for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what Commedia del Arte is. Of course, is. sorry. Um, so Commedia came about in Italy in the 18th century. I think I sixteenth. I'm so sorry. I'm sixteenth. I'm so bad. That's going to be so important if you get that wrong. Yeah, I know. People are. <laughs> <laughs> We're being sued I by the Italian just... <laughs> Arts Council. <laughs> um, but yeah, it came about as a, as a way, and it actually means um, professional theatre was like one of the first way times where theatre was like a professional art. Um, but it came about as a way of creating satirical work against the authorities uh, and this was very bawdy uh, very over the top and all these they, there's all these stock characters um, that pe- an actor would have take on and then play for years um, so stock character for example is Pantalone is uh, the rich merchant who's, who's incredibly greedy and just driven by his greed so a lot of the characters are driven by really negative <laughs> um, drives is the only word I have but yeah, uh, so there's all these different stock characters that then you can apply that to like um, the the principal of the school and, and fuel that through certain character traits. So it's a really lovely way to kind of hone in character um, and have a sense of of who you are before you go then to play a character. Cool. Yeah. So one last question for you. Sure. And I have to warn you, you can't name a group 
It's, it's not a, first of all, it's not a popularity question. Yeah. Second is you can't name one of your own groups. Okay. And third, you can't name a group that you coach or teach because that would be cheating. Right. So um, <laughs> it, and it, it's not a question about what is the best. It's just, is there a group you've seen in recent times yeah. uh, anywhere in the world, uh, but it has to be improper related, that yeah. you've enjoyed watching and what was it about it that you enjoyed? Yeah, um, I'm going to go, I'm going to say quartet. They, for me, are the group that have most struck me. Um, and tell us where they are. They're in I.O. It's uh, Craig Akowski, Bob Dassey. I'm having blank on the other names. Do you know? No. 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 I'm forgetting the women, which is bloody awful. There's the two other wi- no, women. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just because Craig taught me and I've, ta- I've chatted to Bob a few times, so that's my excuse. Um, but they... They basically improvise one-act plays, and it's mm. beautiful, and it's real, and dark, and hilarious, and the characters are so subtle and so in-depth that uh, I remember watching one of their shows and having this fever to go home and script it, mm. <laughs> and I didn't. But that was the impulse. <laughs> um, it was so, it was so, it was so beautifully constructed that it would have made a really good show yeah. in and of itself. Um, so yeah, that's my answer. Great. Kelly Shatter, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Neil Curry.